0: tonight mind you we continue the series that we got started last week in Ruth where we're using Ruth as a conversation partner in learning a little bit more about what it means to be in relationship and to be in in covenant relationship we got to hear from Chap and D Clark as they talked about kind of hanging in there in the mystery and and chaos and disappointment of relationship and uh tonight uh we get to to hear from a guy that he he actually came to the inn when he was a student here at the University of Washington. Mind you, it took, it took seven invitations for him to get to the inn. So those of you that are always wondering if you should ask, ask a friend and you said, oh, I asked a friend, but they said, no, we'll keep asking perhaps another six times and they might show up here. So uh, he was a student here at the University of Washington, was a former uh, college pastor as well after getting a uh, Master's Divinity at uh, Princeton. Uh, he is now a therapist uh, here in town, and one of the things, uh, there, there's really two things that I would characterize Dave Lutz with, is A, you're going to experience that he is a great communicator, but that comes out of what I think is probably his greatest strength, and that is that he is a phenomenal listener, that what you will hear tonight comes largely not out of his speaking, but out of his listening. That's what makes uh, Dave Lutz a great communicator. And I would, I never thought that I would say he's also one of my favorite golf buddies. So please give a warm in welcome to my buddy, Dave Lutz.
1: <laughs> oh, when he says golf buddies, I'm a terrible golfer. I really am. I just started it. There was a, we have a men's group, Ryan and I are in it. And, um, the, uh, truth is that, uh, about, oh gosh, we started this men's group a long, long time ago, and these guys were all good golfers, and I had never golfed, and, uh, at all. I think I made fun of golf a lot. I just would look at him, like, nah, that's the most boring sport to watch. Great nap sport. You know those sports where you're just like, Pfft. same thing happening. gonna go back to sleep. And, uh, And there was a year they would do a scramble and they passed me back and forth as a handicap. So literally, is that mean? Is that mean? They're like, we had loots last round. No, this is, this is the hole where you've got loots. This is, so I'd be running across with my, you know, running back and forth. So I decided to take lessons and that was, I'm still really bad. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for every person in this room. I really mean it. Thank you for the way that you've made these people. I'm so uh, appreciative of the care that you have for each and every one in this room. And I do believe that there is no one here by accident tonight. That you have a divine appointment with them. That you want to speak to them. That you care about their lives and their choices and what they're doing that their stories matter to you, that you know the things that are going on with them. The great things that are going on. Some people are in that place where you feel so close. Everything they're doing, they can feel your hand on their lives and it feels so amazing that there would ever be a time when you weren't that close. And I know that there are people in this room right now who are barely... um, able to hear you, if hear you at all. They're here by a thread. And I'm glad they're here too. Lord, I pray that if you, uh, as we uh, get into your word tonight, as we look at Ruth, that you will make it clear for us that we walk out of here, not just with a sense of having been with each other, although that is certainly part of your will for us, that we would be in a community, that we'd be part of church, capital C this body of believers, that we be together. That is certainly part of your plan for us. You said it's not good when we're alone. But I pray that they would walk out of here with a sense that you met with them, and that is something that only you can do. So we ask it. We pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, so we're going to be talking about... Um, Ruth tonight, just to let you guys know i 'm seriously i want to I always say when I come here, this is one of my uh, very favorite places to to speak It really is i I can remember being right about there, and I was sitting back on a table and uh, when I was in college, and I remember and and the number is six by the way, six times she asked me, I, I think the number's going to get larger as the years go on, but she the amber Murphy amber Murphy asked me again and again, and I just kept thinking nah nah." no thanks, no thanks. And I finally came and there was just this curiosity in me. Maybe some of you were in that place where there's just this sense of maybe, 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 maybe that Jesus is who He says He is. And if He is, then that would mean He's everything. And I was at that place where I either wanted to be done with it because I don't need simply a thing to go to. I didn't need a religion. But if it's true, then I want to I want to know this Jesus and I want my life to be centered around this, this, this person, this, this uh, incarnation of God. I want this because otherwise what else matters? And so I remember sitting over there listening to the director at the time, Denny Rydberg, who's now uh, the president of Young Life. And I remember just hearing it for the first time. It felt like reality. And I thought, all this stuff I'm doing, I was in a fraternity and I just, I was in that place and some of you were in it. I was just watching the guys around and it just felt like a bunch of lemmings to me. It just felt like we're all kind of marching along and marching along and slowly off the thing we're going, you know, just, where'd it happen to them? I don't know. They're still drinking and doing, you know, no, 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 no. I'm like, there's got to be more than this. Something of significance. And so it's been uh, 22 years, I think, being involved with uh, this program. And, and uh, so it's a great honor. And I also want to tell you, I work still over uh, part-time uh, with uh, Seattle Pacific University. And um, I love that because I learn from you. I really do. You guys keep me sharp. Keep asking the questions that, you know, we old guys, we stop asking. And so I'm just like, yeah, that's a really good question. So I am on it, and I'm also am very aware that I'm in the midst of very, very, very sharp minds, so um, please know that that is true. Um, so we're going to talk about relationships tonight. We're working with, a, with one of my very favorite people in the Bible, Ruth. I love Ruth. I love, I love her life. I love uh, reading about her, the way she carries herself. There's something in there that just incredibly commands my respect. Um, And um, what happens with her is an amazing story. And you heard a little bit of it last week. But her life has been upended. She gets married. Plan A. You know plan A? I had plan A. I was going to graduate. And then at 24, I would be married. 27, I would have my first child. By 29, (laughs) 2.5. And they would match And I would put them in matching clothes. And I would watch them grow up to be beautiful people. With my beautifully selected wife. Who was never cranky. And always awesome. That Just sign me up. That was kind of part of the implicit deal. I was also interested when I was sitting over there. I was like, this looks pretty good. You know what I'm talking about. There are some of you here right now, and I know that's such a big deal. There's such this, you can kind of feel the tension. There's some of you right now, I call them radar people. It's like, what's your name? so you mind coming up here with me for a minute? <laughs> Tyler and I have been buddies for all of 2.2 seconds, but we'll just pretend it's been a long time like that. They're radar people that when they come up and we'll be along for how you doing? They talk to people, but they're kind of going like this. Yeah, how are you doing, Tyler? Good to see you. How are you? Nice to see you. <laughs> yeah. I'm really interested in your life, man. How are you? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's really cute. So thank you. Buddy. Yeah. Radar people, you can hear it. You just listen. Listen, everybody. Beep. Beep. Yeah. you. Someone provided the sound effect. You can hear a little radar pinging. Maybe my spouse is in here. <laughs> I just have to not miss them. God's got a plan for my life, but it's gonna require every ounce of strength I have to not miss it. Or I'll be on plan B. Just picture God going, man, I had her. She was right there, guys. And too bad you were paying honest attention to your friends as she was walking right by there. Sorry. <laughs> plan A went down the toilet. I don't know what to do now. Radar, you know what that's like. Some of you are in that place where you'd like a relationship, but something's happened and there's this sense that you can feel this from people and it's, it, it's, and it's a, it's a real thing where there's a sort of a battle, a war going on in, in, inside of them. And so every time they meet somebody, there's a sense of fear, there's a sense of, of what is this person going to do to me that maybe likes something that happened in the past that I've seen maybe with your parents. They're on guard all the time. And so that problem with that is that even though that may have protected you from what you came from, putting that guard up, now it's getting in the way. And so people that are trying to get close to you keep feeling that poke, that prickle, that sense of you pushing away. You're not trying to. It's not something that you're wanting to do. It's just in you and it's hard. Some of you, like Ruth, had something happen where your life fell apart. Ruth is married. And she has a rare thing, which is a great relationship with her mother-in-law. Really, really... that If that's the only incredible thing we pull out of her, I'm like, wow, she really close to her mother-in-law. That's great. (laughs) She is taken to Moab because there's a famine where they live. Well, in Moab, her husband dies. Now listen i got to tell you something. This is the kind of thing where you have something in your life where it felt like a lightning bolt hit you. Something was going along and something happened. Boom. And suddenly what you knew, your rock, the thing you were counting on. Some of you, it's with your families. When I was 17 years old, out of nowhere, my folks got divorced. Literally three months from us knowing to to it happening. It was like a lightning bolt. I came into college. I had some of that, warrior battler in me i just seen the rock just explode some of you are like that for some of you it's a literal death something's happened where somebody that you knew is suddenly gone some of you it's a death of something that you wanted like a secure home to go back with adults that have grown up to be adults they're not just old but they have that core strength that when they're asking you how you are, they've got enough. nothing, listen to this, they've got enough in themselves to be able to give to you. Some of you know what it's like to go home, and you are the support of the family. How stressful that can be. Ruth has this happen to her. Her rock suddenly blown apart. She's with her mother-in-law, and they hear that back in Bethlehem, things are getting better. And there's, a, there's, a, there's food that's growing again. The famine is over. And so Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, Let's go back. You guys go your way. You guys stay here. Get married again. And Ruth, her sister-in-law, the, 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 the wife of, of the other brother, Naomi, her two sons, Ruth is married to one and the other woman that she leaves. And Ruth says, I'm not, going in, I'm not leaving your side. So Naomi pleads with her and says, Listen. Done for me, and this is where you start to see Ruth's character come out, and she says, "Uh-uh, I'm more loyal to you than I am to my own homeland." And so the two of them step off back. Now listen, this is the feeling that so many of you know right now in this time of your life. You know that feeling of being uprooted, of being in a completely uh, in a place that is nothing like home. And even if you're surrounded with people, you know what it's like, some of you. You know what it's like to feel absolutely alone. You see Ruth and Naomi coming back into Bethlehem and they have no way of making an income. Completely stripped of any of their power. So Ruth starts doing what people would do. do you know, she starts walking behind the people as they're harvesting grain and they would leave little shoots along the ground. She's just picking that up. She'll sell it later, make food out of it. And slowly, but surely, a new man walks into her story. Let's pick it up. Chapter 2. I'm going to put my glasses on. This is the other thing you guys will start noticing. You start getting older, and all of a sudden it's like, I didn't used to have to put on glasses. No, I do. All right, here we go. You guys are like, that's not going to happen to me. Yes, it will. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I can favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. You can feel that relationship that they've got. You can already start to see Boaz's character coming through this, coming through with these, even just how he's talking to people. When you guys are going to look for the person that you're going to be with, watch how they speak to people when no one's watching. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvest, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. First thing out of his mouth is he starts speaking about how hot Ruth is. Yeah. No, first thing out of his mouth is she's hardworking. First thing out of his mouth is, let me start talking to you about her character. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. You can hear his tone, I picture his face. He says, Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. It was often dangerous. You could go and glean and you could be treated horribly. You could be brought into slavery, you could be killed. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars men have filled. You can feel him already sensing that he has something to give, which is safety. A lot of you know what it's like to be raised in a place that doesn't feel safe. The first thing he's doing is letting her know that with me, you are safe. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you. All about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. A lot of times back in those days, if they found out you'd already been, already been married, plan A, you'd be written off. I want someone unmarried. Not Boaz. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You can hear his faith and his love of God coming through. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. I can't imagine how scared she would have been. It would have been one word, boom, she's off that land. And it's not just going to be a matter of her not being able to work there. It's a matter of her very survival. You have given me comfort, and you have spoken kindly to your servant what that would have meant to her. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls, she says, I'm even lower than the people who work for you. At mealtime Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvester, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted. Can you imagine how hungry she would have been all day long working like this? As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. I love that line. How many of you have been embarrassed publicly on purpose by someone that is supposed to be caring for you? called out, something that you are trying to hide, and they know it, and they exploit it. I says, I want you not to embarrass her about something that's going to be hard for her, which is that she is utterly dependent. Don't make her look bad. As she got up to glean, he says, rather pull out some stocks for her from the bundle and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then he threshed the barley she had gathered. When she threshed the barley she gathered, it amounted to ten ephah, which is a measurement. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over that she had eaten after she had eaten enough. You see her stowing away food. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said, to her her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She knows him. He's got a reputation. Being the kind of man that does exactly what he did today. He's not using Ruth. There's a long history that he has. Track record. I get people who have the greatest of hearts. They do. Typically, these people that I see are extremely loyal. And they see in somebody potential. If I could just love them enough, they would become, what? Trustworthy. If I can just hang in there with them, they will become kind. If I can just stay there, eventually, they'll become Christian. And wouldn't that be great? Boaz comes with a long history of having walked in the same way. Practicing character. Practicing Kindness. It takes practice. It takes work. It takes time. Learning to live in faith it took him time. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And hear the astonishment in her voice. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter. Go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. I'm going to give you three. We could do more. I'm going to give you three traits that I think. We can see in Boaz, that we can see in Ruth, that are going to give them a compatibility that's going to last. You know, it's easy, and this is where we get hung up, is that it's easy, guys aren't going to be able to see, I apologize, I'll just, I'll just tell you what's up there. It's easy to find, oh. <laughs> it's easy, I'm doing this the weird way. Learn to work with it. Alright, here we go. Uh, er, Connection. You get connected to someone, don't you? They have that thing. What are you looking for? That certain something. And then you have it. And you guys get together and it's like, the fireworks are off. I've been waiting. And you see them walking around and they say, I've met them. And they're perfect. They have no flaws. And we just, and they say, what is it? I don't know. We just have this certain connection. Oh, it's okay. So and they walk around and they're just kind of like... Floating a little bit. How's class? Just fine. And they're just, everything is great. How's your prayer life? God's so good. It's so great. They're walking around and there's this fire. The problem is that we can have a connection with someone that's compatible. And I want to tell you something, this is true, and I see it all the time in my practice, is that we can have a connection that is not compatible with who you are, how you're wired, what you want, your values, where you're going in life, what's dear to you. And it's tough. Once you have that connection, it's almost like this cord from your heart to their heart and you try to negotiate and you guys try to work it out. If we could just go through and people blow up because they're just not hearing each other and they think the way that you'll hear me is if I talk louder (laughs) or maybe I'll pout. And then you'll finally get it, and the cord is right there, and it's almost like suddenly you cater in prison, and you think, I know this isn't right, and your friends are gathered around you going, what are you doing? And they're offering that, what I call two buck beer advice. It's like this idea of like, well, would you try breaking up with her? You should just break up with her. That'd be good. You know that kind of advice? You're like, you know what? I never thought of that. Great. Uh, You know what? I spend 24-7 on this issue, and you came up with something in 2.5 seconds that I did not think of. Thank you. That's amazing. I'll just break up with her. (laughs) Connection. Powerful, powerful. You know there's studies right now that that may not just be emotional, that our brains are wired to connect. It literally is a physical thing. You can feel it. And you try, but it feels almost like breaking up would be like losing a part of yourself. You can't envision, you can't imagine your story not being with this person. It would feel like death itself. You've already pictured, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You pictured it from like the minute you started talking. I already saw us as old people walking together. Hoth, though, isn't it? I mean, oh, now you got the picture of life already mapped out. How am I supposed to end that? The connection is so powerful, so real. It is. It's a real thing. You can have connection with someone who's compatible with you. You can have connection with someone who's not. What I love about Ruth... Is that she is coming into this scenario. Now listen, I would be if I could if I was in Ruth's shoes, there would be a sense of desperation. What does she have to do? She has to provide for Naomi. There's no way Naomi's gonna be able to make enough living. I might be I might, might, might be tempted if I was Ruth to be just scanning around, just scanning, little radar, beep, beep, beep. And it wouldn't matter if the connection is good or bad as long as I can be financially taken care of. Some of you know what that fear is like, to not know if the finances are going to be okay. One of the toughest things I deal with in marriages. It's really hard on the man, really hard on the woman, whoever's making the money, wherever it's going down, it's really tough. What she has is she's got her anchors in place. And you can see it. She's got her anchors in God. She's got her anchor in family. And she's got her anchor in who she is. Tough to tell your mother-in-law, I'm not leaving. Some of you have had those moments in your life where there's a choice to be made. And everybody's telling you, you've got to go do this way. And there's something inside you says, This is your moment for courage. And I'll tell you something. I, there's two things that I can't stand. I tell this in my men's groups, I do and I've gotten in my own. Two things that I hate, bless you. Two things that I can't two things that I that I that I always that I never like. One is confession, because it's always hard to tell the thing that's embarrassing, to tell where you failed. It's always hard. And the other one is courage. I don't like courage. Because it means that there's something I'm really scared of that I have to face down anyway. I don't like courage. If it's just something I do and it looks like courage, that's easy. It's when I'm scared. Ruth has no promise of what's going to happen. If she stays with Naomi, it may mean that she never sees her homeland again. It may mean that she's never married again. It may mean that she never has happiness. She's taking a stand of courage. She's anchored in. She trusts in God That even though things are hard, there's a sense that she gets that God has not left her. She knows who she is. She knows, I am strong enough to go with you. And she starts to do her thing in the field. And she finds someone who is compatible Three areas. One, maturity. Now, this is a word that kind of gets taken out, you know, when you're a kid. Just, you're so immature. We use it in the negative light. You're so immature. You know what I want to tell you? This is where, you know, I wish you could just turn these lights off and just talk. There's a the part of me that just would love for you. To re-fall in love again with the word maturity. It will take care of so much drama. Just be mature. Why are you calling her? Because she didn't call me. I don't want her to get the wrong idea. So I'm just not going to call her. I'm just going to let her dangle a little bit. (laughs) That's going to get us a great relationship. (laughs) Keep things equal. You gonna call her back? Well, uh, she called me back like five minutes ago. So I'll wait five minutes. That's how long she waits. So I'll wait that long. <laughs> Just be mature. What is mature? I wanna give you two things. And you, if we were talking, we'd come up with more. Listen, maturity. One is a deep knowledge. Pretty good that I can write straight across like that, isn't it? It took me years to learn that. Deep knowledge of, I'd be like more of how you're wired to is a love and passion for wisdom. Listen. When you are in your next stressful situation and your brain starts working, you can hear it how people talk. How's it going? Well, they're way up here and I'm going to talk to you about my day. And da-da-da-da-da. What are you going to try to do? I don't know. Wisdom? No. <laughs> You're on the Titanic and you go up to the deck or the, up to the captain's deck. You go, what are we doing? I don't know. There's a bunch of little, little ice cubes out there and I don't know what to do. Wisdom? No. Wisdom is a practice. Proverbs talks about it being like gold. I want to tell you something, folks. You can learn wisdom. And if no one's ever put it in front of your face before to start practicing and learning, what does it feel like when you are speaking out of wisdom? Start. For me, I have to take a breath. I get tense. And the more tense I get, the more my voice goes up here, my shoulders get tense. If I relax my face, I have this videotape, videotape of me when I was in seminary. You get to preach one time in your senior year. And I'm preaching on John 21, where Jesus and Peter are reunited after Jesus, Peter has totally betrayed Jesus. And there's this sense of failure for Peter. He's out fishing again. His whole plan is washed out. And Jesus comes to him, and they have this amazingly intimate conversation. And he's saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He's saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, great reconciliation. And if you look on the videotape, it looks like I hate every single person in the congregation right now. I'm just I hate you. Why? Because my furrow, my brow is down right here. My voice is way up here, and I'm just so nervous. That's what happens when I get nervous. I can do. Rah. Relax your face, breathe, and wisdom. Who are you? Something about me. And you always want to I'm always kind of cautious about how much to share about how I'm wired. But this is something I had to know about me. I can handle you now and after this. I'll have usually people come out and have a beer with us. I'm like, no, why? Because I don't want to be with you anymore. Like I loved being with you here and now I want to go. I want to be, it's like I'm an introvert. So I want to go back and be by myself now. I I love my downtime. I didn't know that I have a certain, like a, like a, an allowance for, for, for being around people. But I'm primarily an introvert. I didn't know that. So as a pastor, I would almost get depressed because so much energy of me was being spent with people all the time. It's a great thing about my work now. I get to be with people for a while and then I get to go away. I didn't know that. So I always felt like I should want to do, I should want to, I should want to do this. I don't go to church on Sunday morning. Why? Because I don't want to be with people on Sunday morning. People are like, what? Like, yeah, that's true. I'm just wired that way. That's true about me. That's not changing. That's how I'm wired. So if I'm going to act with maturity, I need to know that. How are you wired? What's particular about how God made you? That you need to take into account how much stress can you handle before finally you do one of two things, blow up or melt down? We all do. Do you know yourself, what you can handle? Some of you, Mission trips, Alaska, I can't believe that guy had a tank top on. I was so, that guy's standing in the middle of an iceberg with a tank top. That's awesome. For me, it's tough because there's no downtime for me to be by myself. Not enough. How are you wired? How much people time can you take? Some of you are living in sororities and fraternities where you're around each other all the time. And you see people around you. Drama. Drama. <laughs> Some of them have just had enough. But they don't know themselves. They don't know how they're wired. They're not taking care of how much time they need down. And wisdom. This feeling that when you say what you're going to say, that it'll last about that it'll last. It's not the only right reason. Listen to this. It's not the only right answer. It's a good one that will stand the test of time that five years from now you'll say, that was wise for me to do that. For some of you, you're in relationships right now where that maturity is not there. You're not taking into account how you're wired. So you're with someone that wants to go party every night. And you're going, can't we just stay inside? And there's this tug of war that starts. Because neither are taking into account that they're not wired the same way. Now, that's okay. Some married couples do get along great when they're not wired, but at least they know so they can negotiate from wisdom, maturity. Ruth has got this maturity about her that knows that she is someone who's very loyal. And instead of turning that loyalty onto someone that's not healthy, she knows that she's going to turn that loyalty onto someone who is. Boaz could have exploited that situation he knows he's got the capacity to give now some of you have that and you overgive. so that in your relationship you're the one that's always calling you're the one that's always going over you're the one that's always checking you're the one that's always doing the thing you're always the one to start on the conversation let's talk about us let's have another DTR that we had two days ago let's just do that again because you're giving and giving, got to take that. Listen, it's okay to be someone who naturally is a giver, but you got to, out of maturity, know that about yourself and then use that wisely. The second one is that she finds a compatibility in sensitivity. You guys hanging in there with me? Thumbs up if you're with me. Are you with me? Okay, good. Thumbs down if you're not. Anybody it? Okay. We used to have this 88-year-old pastor working in this church, and he would do that with my my college student's favorite speaker, and he would do that. And I thought it was so corny, and now I'm doing it. (laughs) Sensitivity. (laughs) Sensitivity. Listen to this. In my work, my belief is that every single person has got two, three, or four core wounds, things that are core fears. Something happened to you that now when you get anywhere close to it, you immediately feel that flood of adrenaline. You immediately feel that panic. And there can be that guilt. If I was only stronger, better, I wouldn't have this core fear in me, this core wound. What I love about what Boaz does with Ruth is that he's sensitive around a core part of who she is, a core fear that she may have around safety around security, about being treated well. I'll tell you something, you guys. I get couples all the time, and what they're doing, if they're doing anything wrong, is that neither of them have taken stock of the core fear or the core wound that may grow and may mature a little bit over a lifetime, but may not. And to treat it sacredly. I want to tell you something. If you've had somebody in your family, like a father, walk out, either emotionally or physically, your fear of someone leaving is going to be very, very acute. And if you're partnered with someone who doesn't get that, name that, and make sure they're being careful with it, you're going to be miserable all the time, afraid every moment a little bit. I want you to partner with somebody who says, it's not that I'm going to cater to everything you need. It's not that we're not going to have to talk about this. But when I talk about this core wound of yours, I'm sensitive to it. I can put myself in your place. And when we're in that situation, I can imagine, I put myself, this is this empathy. I train guys on this all the time. Can you put yourself in their shoes and feel what they would feel, think what they would think, want what they'd want, and speak to that, sensitive to their core wound. Are you with someone who gets that and treats it like hallowed ground in the temple? Outer wall, inner wall, inner wall, inner wall, all the way to the end. Fewer and fewer people are let in until finally they're in the Holy of Holies, where one person is elected a year out of the religious rulers to walk in, and they take their shoes off, and they don't speak tie a rope around their waist to be hauled out if the presence of the Lord is too blinding for them. This sense of sacredness, this sacred space. Each one of us has got a core wound inside of us, a core fear that happened because of something real. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, it came from somewhere. Listen to this. Sometimes those core fears can be translated through three generations, four generations. I still get people who have a core fear around finances and it is two steps away till they're at the Great Depression. Real. I want to tell you something when you're with your partner and you start to hear them get worked up and they become a little irrational, you're probably close to a core wound. Slow down. And instead of fighting them on that, listen to them. And when you listen, don't try to explain it. Don't try to tell them how it doesn't matter. Don't try to tell them how that's not a fear anymore. Get in their shoes. And this is the first words out of your mouth. If I were in your shoes, this is how I would feel. And see if you can list two or three. I would feel terrified. I would feel ugly. I would feel used. Be imaginative. And I want to tell you something, even if you're wrong, and they say, That's not how I feel, how I feel is, and they tell you, You're still there. I'll take a few shots at the bullseye, putting myself in their shoes. It can almost be like you're reading their mind. You'd be surprised at how good you can get at it if you try. But if I'm wrong, and I'm wrong a lot, They'll take it, my arrow, and put it right on the bullseye and tell me how they feel when they get close to this core wound of theirs. Sensitivity. I want to tell you something. In your partnerships, you have to find the other person's core wound or fear and it has got to be something you can live with. Can you be the person at the end of their life? Wouldn't this be a great vision? You guys are old. You've walked with each other a long time. And wouldn't it be amazing if you, on this earth, were the best person attending to their core wound of anyone alive. You know it better, you care about it more, and you are more protective of it than anybody else. doesn't mean that you don't have to work through stuff. doesn't mean it doesn't still come up. But it means that you're not careless with it. You don't attack it. You don't embarrass them. You stay mature with it. Sensitivity. Last one. Curiosity. What I love about Ruth, what I love about Boaz is they're still learning. You can see Boaz. He's seeing people out in his field all the time and he's thinking, what's going on here? Who's that? You see Ruth that's going and she's never been in a situation like this where she has to figure out a way to make it work. They're still learning. They're not supposed to be. She's probably thinking she's probably not going to be able to get married again. Naomi's already written off that she's ever going to have a granddaughter or grandson. They're still learning. When they get to each other, they don't have it all figured out. I want to tell you something. My supervisor over at SPU, Steve Maybell. he's a great therapist. He is. He knows his stuff. But why I stay working there? I'll tell you a little secret. They forgot to pay me for like five weeks. And I didn't know it. They don't pay me a lot there. They don't. I didn't notice. It was like, we forgot to pay. i like, oh, okay. Do that. That'd be great. <laughs> I haven't told anybody else that. So you guys are the only ones that know. Because I don't stay there for that. I earn my living over in my own practice. The reason I stay there is because a man in his sixties is still learning. That is the number one thing about him that commands my respect. He is still astonished by these young interns we get and we get them in there practicing their therapy. I'm going to do some therapy on this person. I'm going to practice my therapy moves. Mm. Tell me about your father. (laughs) Ah, wrestling them into therapy but you know what they have amazing insights they do they're still working out their own style they're still integrating all that stuff but they always come with things that are fresh and I'll watch my supervisor who's been in the field coming up on 40 years ago never would have thought of that and he's real, he's true, that's true Curiosity. Do you have someone? And I want to tell you something. When Ryan talks about listening, this last one came directly from one of my favorite men's groups that I lead. I said, tell me, guys, what is the thing? Tell me the wisdom about what you think you would tell these college students that I'm going to go speak for. And they said, curiosity. Do you have someone who's still learning? and who has a passion for learning about themselves, about God. If you're having that conversation about your faith, and they're like, oh, that's so great. Awesome that you have that. That. Great. Let's go do something. Or do they have that passion, that curiosity? that doesn't know all the answers. They still are learning about themselves. That'll carry you through. I like to think that Ruth, I like to think that Boaz, were still learning about themselves till the end of their days. Curiosity. Maturity, sensitivity, curiosity based on a compatibility over connection. That simply takes you Through the long haul. And you guys, honestly, as you're starting this and going, I don't even know how to start this, here's one thing I would give you. And honestly, this is the only thing I really care about in the work I do. I know it's the only thing that Ryan, Janie, Becky, I know it's the only thing the interest, I know this is what they care about too. The truth be told, at the end of the day, I want you to agree with Jesus about you. I know all your defense mechanisms. I know you've got coping strategies. I know you've got habits that are hard to break. I know you've got your fears. I know all that stuff that's covering you up. People interact with that all the time. Don't get fooled. There's a core of you that if I can put you in a place that's safe, it'll come out. For me, there's not a lot of people that I've ever met in that core place that I don't like. And I keep going to Jesus saying, and Dave, if you can like that person, just imagine how much I do. Jesus thinks you're awesome right now. He knows the things that you do to keep people away. He knows the things you do to protect yourself. He knows the things you do. He sees that core and goes, I would die for that core if it was the only core on this planet. That's how God thinks about you. I would love it If you don't get to be 85 and think about all the days that you'd spent disagreeing with Jesus about you, why waste time? Why waste another day believing that your defense mechanisms, your strategies, your coping mechanisms, your, your, your your habits, are you? They're not. They're the ways you handle a broken world. Your core is what Jesus died for to save it, to bring it home. That would be my wish. If you go out of here and you're looking for the relationship, I really do challenge you. Get picky. Run them through the grid and agree with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you take this and sink it home. I pray it goes deep. I pray it changes their lives. That's bold prayer. I pray they walk out of here. There's going to be some breakups tonight. I'll bet you. pray it goes well. Some fearful people wondering if there's going to be another person. Give them courage. Give them kindness. Give them the ability to trust that you have them, that you know them, that you like them. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.